Hey, welcome back. So we carry on today the section of this course which I'm entitling What the Bible Claims About Itself. So we began that in our last video. We do that today and we'll carry on in the next video with the, that little section. And we are busy looking at a bunch of claims that the Bible makes about itself. And while I'm doing that, I'm trying to show you as many verses uh, as time will allow that demonstrate all of these claims to you so that at the end of this whole discussion you can sit back and say wow the Bible really does make some dramatic claims about itself and hopefully you'll see that you can't just write the Bible off as some holy book just another book of wisdom you know either the Bible is all that it claims to be or it is the worst kind of fiction possible and we should gather up every copy and burn them in the light of what it claims about itself. So in the last session we saw five claims the Bible makes about itself. We saw firstly that it claims to be the testimony of the Spirit of Christ speaking through men. Secondly, it claims that every word of it is God-breathed. Thirdly, it claims to be both fully human while still being fully divine. Fourth, it claims to have been initiated by God himself. So that this was not man's idea. It was God's idea. The Bible was his creation. He gave it in his own time. And then fifthly, we said that it claims to be unique in what it reveals in that it alone shows us how to be saved. Of course, that's by coming to trust in Jesus Christ. So today we are going to add two more claims to this list. And we start with this one. The Bible claims to be powerful to affect change in us. The Bible claims to be powerful to affect change in us. And I'm going to spend a lot of time in this video on this point because I think it is so important. Do you remember in our last video that I said to you that I do believe in having direct, dramatic encounters with the Holy Spirit. But I said that that's not how we come to know God or how we come to trust in Him. Uh, that that only comes through the Word of God. And I said that there's a danger that we'll think that that kind of sounds a bit academic. As if God doesn't really encounter people anymore in dramatic ways. You know, breaking into people's lives with miraculous power to encounter them. But on the contrary, the point that I'm making here is that it is exactly this that, that God does through the Word. You know, unlike any other book on the planet, the Word of God has power, both when it is read and when it is preached, because it is attended by the Holy Spirit. You know, there are many verses in the Bible which teach us this, but what I'm going to do is I've chosen 12 of them, which we're going to look at together. So first, let's begin with this one, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So the question may be asked, 
why the scriptures seem to have no power in the lives of the scribes and Pharisees, for example. You know, didn't they know the scriptures really well, and yet it did nothing for them? Where then was the power of God's word in their lives? But notice what those verses from the book of Hebrews that I just read you tell us. They say that the word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And so unlike any other book that the scribes and Pharisees could have picked up and read, the word of God served to increase their condemnation because though it did discern their hearts, yet they hardened their hearts and they continued in their unbelief. And so great will be their condemnation. And great will be the condemnation of all those who have grown up under the preaching of the gospel, maybe grew up in a Christian home, grown up reading God's word, and yet have not repented and put their faith in Jesus. They will receive a stricter judgment. This book, unlike any other book, has the power to penetrate into you and work within the very deepest parts of you, either to increase your condemnation and guilt for hardening your heart or to bring you to God. And this is exactly what Paul meant when he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, he said, The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. No other book has the power to kill like this book can kill. In other words, the power to reveal sin and increase guilt and condemnation. And no other book has the power, as it is taken up by the Holy Spirit, to give us life. No other book can do this. And for those of us who have experienced the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit through the gospel, we can testify that there is no book like this that can completely undo you and then put you back together again. So that's what we mean when we say that the Bible has power. Either way, whatever it's going to do in you, it has power to do it like no other book. Is not my word like a fire? says the Lord. This is what God said to Jeremiah. And like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. Now, I want us to see something quite subtle in those verses I read from Jeremiah now that one of the old Bible commentators, a man named John Gill, highlighted. And this is Gill speaking about the need for the Spirit to apply the Word of God. He says this, Now the Word is only an instrument it is not the efficient cause of all this, as a hammer is but an instrument, and a passive one. It can do nothing of itself. It must be taken up and used by a powerful hand, or it can do no execution. What is a hammer without a hand? So the gospel is only an instrument in the hand of the Lord. But when he takes it into his own hand, and strikes with it, it will break the hardest heart in pieces and make a stony heart a heart of flesh. And this is exactly what Paul had seen happen in Thessalonica. I'm going to read to you a comment that Paul makes in his letter to the Thessalonians, reminding them of what it was like when he first came preaching the gospel to them. He says this, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit 
and in much assurance. When the Holy Spirit graciously attends the preaching or the reading of the word, when it is anointed, as we say in our own day, even though previously it was just foolishness to people and it served only to increase their condemnation, now all of a sudden it is filled with power and wisdom because of what the Holy Spirit is doing within them as they hear it. I want you to understand that there is no other book or message on the planet that the Holy Spirit is interested in doing this with. Yes, in some sense, even when an unbelieving student reads a, a book on mathematics and he understands what he's reading, the Holy Spirit is helping that person make sense of what they're reading and think logically. He's busy upholding that person's very being. But I'm talking about something different. We're talking about how the Holy Spirit hovers over the Word of God in a special life-giving way to bring power. And it completely, miraculously changes people's lives for the good. Now this is why it is so important for you to be praying for those who preach to you. Pray for your preachers. And if there isn't anyone in your church whom you believe is genuinely gifted for the work of preaching and teaching, then pray that God will raise up a man who lives a holy life, who knows his Bible, who understands his doctrine, and is gifted to preach the word with power and boldness in the Holy Spirit. Pray for such a man. Okay, so the word has power. Jesus told his disciples, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Okay, so, so part of the word's power, according to Jesus, is to make dirty, guilty sinners clean in the eyes of God. And it's for that reason that Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. That's Romans chapter 1. That's also why Paul said to the Corinthians, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. We preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called for those who the Holy Spirit is taking up the word as a hammer in the words of Jeremiah, both Jews and Greeks, Christ or the message of Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And then later on in that same letter, 1 Corinthians in chapter 2, Paul reminds the, the Corinthians what it was like when he first came to them, just, here, just like he did with the Thessalonians. He reminds them and he says this, And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So all those verses show that the word has power to save. It has power to save, to bring about the forgiveness of sins and to bring an individual into fellowship with God. But it doesn't stop there. The word also has power to sanctify us. That means to, to progressively, increasingly through the Christian life, to separate us from sin, to make us more mature. The word has power to mature you. 
You know, many people delay coming to Jesus because they don't think that they're going to be able to live up to the commitment. Many people don't become Christians or commit their life to Christ because they, they think they won't be able to live up to it. But I don't, if that's you in that category, I don't want you to fear that. The word has power to change you. Listen to what Paul said to the Romans. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, they couldn't help themselves. They were compulsive sinners. They were slaves of it. Yet, says Paul, you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, and how were they set free from sin? By this form of doctrine, this form of teaching. Having been set free from sin by this doctrine, you became slaves of righteousness. So not only does the word set you free from sin, but it has the power to change your heart and your desires so that you become, as Paul calls it, a slave of righteousness. So the word has the power to bring you to a point where you can't help yourself. You want to do what is right. It changes your very desires. You know, the world that we live in, if you just look from popular culture, seems obsessed with superheroes and their unnatural powers. Yeah, we love Marvel movies. But I'm telling you that the word of God has power, real power, not imaginary power. And I defy you to show me one superpower that the world needs more than this power. The power to take selfish, immoral sinners who are damaging themselves and damaging others with their lives and to so change them on the inside that they become slaves of righteousness. I mean, is there anything that this world needs more than that? Listen to how Paul rejoiced at what the word had done in the lives of the people of Thessalonica. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, now listen, which also effectively works in you who believe. When you read your Bible in faith, it is working effectively in you. And don't you want that? I must say that I want that. I hear the words of Peter the Apostle saying to me, Stephen, as a newborn baby, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Peter says that the Bible is like mother's milk to a baby. It sustains our life. It causes us to grow and flourish and mature. Do you want to grow? Do you have a desire to be more mature than you are? I can honestly say that I do. Or maybe also with me, you kind of see it the other way around. You desire to be less immature, less insecure, less full of pride and foolishness and all that you see in yourself that is displeasing. Well, God wants that for you too. This, said Paul to the Thessalonians, is the will of God, your sanctification. He wants you to be made holy, to be made separate from sin and to be loose from the world. And God has given you his word to do it. And it will. It will. If you will commit your life to reading it. I can tell you that the people that know me well will tell you how different I am today to what I was like 20 years ago. 
I know I've still got a long way to go, but God's Spirit has been working in me through His Word, and He has changed me for the good. And if I keep reading my Bible prayerfully, He's going to keep doing it. The entrance of your words gives light, says David in Psalm 119. It gives understanding to the simple. So it doesn't matter how much darkness you feel that you're in. It doesn't matter how simple or unintelligent or incapable that you may think you are. You might think to yourself, you know, I don't have any education. I'm not a wise person. I'm not clever like other people. I even struggle to read a normal book. Listen, you give yourself to God's word and it will enlighten you and it will give you understanding. <laughs> that is a phenomenal promise. There is no university degree on the planet that can promise you that. Well, God's word promises you that. It will enlighten you. It'll give you understanding. As God says through the prophet Isaiah, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void. It shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. When God speaks, his word has power. Okay, that's unlike you and me. When we speak, our words don't have a creative power of their own. You know, when I say, let there be light, okay, <laughs> nothing happens. But when God said, let there be light, the whole universe was created just at his word. And the light of a trillion stars appeared out of nothing. And so it is also when God speaks his word to you, it will achieve its purposes in you. Whether that's to increase your culpability for ignoring him for the day of judgment, or if you're one of his sheep, to do a work of grace in you. It will do it. Don't you ever think when you sit down to have a quiet time and you read your Bible that just because you don't understand everything you're reading and you didn't have some kind of like massive spiritual experience, you know, hearing some audible voice or seeing lights in the sky, don't think that you have wasted your time. God's word will not return to him void. It will prosper in the thing for which he has sent it. Okay, so we're still on actually the first point of this video for today, which is the claim the Bible makes about itself to be powerful to change us. And I've spent a lot of time on this one because I want you to get this. The scriptures are powerful to affect change in us. Good change. Do you know that during the Reformation in England, uh, the Puritan preachers, this was in kind of the, the 17th century in England, the Puritan preachers would gather people in the fields for what they would call prophesyings. Basically, they would preach biblical sermons to the people out in the fields because the Catholic Church were not doing that. And because the people had been so starved of the word of God during the times of the Roman Catholic Church, they would delight in this preaching in the fields. And I remember the story of a, a Puritan preacher stopping after two hours and apologizing to the crowd, the, the crowd that he'd spoken for so long, to which the crowd responded by crying out, For God's sake, man, go on! <laughs> Just one time when I'm preaching in a church, I want someone to shout that out at the end, of <laughs> the end of my sermon. For God's sake, man, go on. You know, anointed preaching of the word of God is what we need. 
It is what will change our nation. It is what will change our world. For the Bible claims to have power to affect change in human beings. Okay, that's the sixth claim the Bible makes about itself that we've looked at in total. Our first one for today. The second one we'll look at today is this. The Bible claims to be organically inspired with its single focus being Jesus. So, when we say organically inspired, what I'm getting at is this. These are not 66 disconnected books. Maybe they're each inspired by God, but they're not related to one another. No, the whole Bible is about Jesus. And the whole Bible agrees with itself in this. It is entirely consistent across all 66 books. And each book helps us understand the other books. The Bible never contradicts itself. And though it was written by many different authors over about one and a half thousand years, yet in a very real sense, it is the product of a single author. And it is addressing a single subject. Now that's what we mean when we say the Bible is organically inspired. The life of it freely flows throughout the whole of it. Jesus said this to the Pharisees, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. I don't think we get the full weight of that encounter with the Pharisees. Jesus pointed at their scriptures, the thing which they held most dear, and they claimed to be committed to more than anything else in the world, some of which had been written by Moses himself 1,500 years before this, and the rest of it having been written over the centuries by the Jewish prophets. And now here, Jesus is pointing at that book, and he says, that book right there is all about me. I mean, it's radical. It is radical. On the day of his resurrection, Jesus appeared to two of his forlorn disciples. You know, they thought he was dead as they were traveling uh, on the road to Emmaus. And somehow he, he disguised himself and he came alongside them and he started a conversation with them. Okay, so they didn't know it was him. And Luke describes to us what he did with them. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets... He expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Later that day, after realizing that it was Jesus that they'd been speaking to, they said to one another, Did our hearts not burn within us as he opened the scriptures to us? So again, after this, Jesus appeared to his disciples and Luke tells us what he said to them. And he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me, concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. The whole Bible is about Jesus. And when you, by the Holy Spirit, see this, your heart will burn within you. Your heart will burn. Is my word not like a fire, says the Lord. 
Okay, that's it for today. So in addition to the five claims the Bible makes about itself that we looked at in our last video, today we've seen two more of these claims. Firstly, we've said that the Bible claims to be powerful, to bring about change in our lives. And secondly, it claims to be organically inspired with its single message from beginning to end being Jesus the Messiah. In our next video, we are going to finish this little section of the course on the claims the Bible makes about itself. And we're going to look at three more claims that the Bible makes. So you can go ahead and have your group discussions now and I'll see you next time.